0: Well, this time we have a kids class available. Kids are more than welcome to head off to that. It's just in the back of the larger room here, and the smaller classroom there. And if you're unaware, we offer a nursery every Sunday during our worship service as well. It's just in the back corner room over here. It's always fully staffed, and you're more than welcome to use that if you would like. I want to invite you to join me here this morning in the Gospel of Mark, chapter seven. <clears throat> Mark seven. Uh, Magicians love to use what we often refer to as sleight of hand. Uh, They'll have you focusing all of your attention over here on something that they're doing uh, so that you don't even see what's going on over here. It could be uh, quite a, a distance away or even nearby, but you're so focused here that you're not seeing that. And it's a fascinating skill that could be innocent or evil. But when Satan uses that tactic, he always uses it in an evil and deceptive way. And so it's no surprise that he absolutely loves uh, what we often refer to as legalism, or sometimes moralism, or externalism. Legalism essentially shifts a person's focus over here and away from reality. And in Mark 7, uh, legalism is one of two things, as we see it in the text. That specific word is never used but i'm using it to kind of encompass an idea that we a few ideas that we see in this text In mark seven legalism is one of two things and sometimes it's both it could be on the one hand adding extra man-made rules to god's commands so you have god's word and then you could add to it and or it could also be viewing those man-made rules or even actually god's commands themselves as the means by which someone becomes clean or stays clean before God. Satan loves to present legalism as the way of salvation and the way for a Christian to be in or stay in God's good books. Satan loves to say, uh, look over here at the outside of your life or look over here at this massive list of rules and regulations that you can actually probably do, by the way. And if you're focused over there on all of those things, you will never, even for a passing moment, take a look at your heart. He says, here's something doable. And if you do it, you'll be clean before God and and you'll probably even be better than everyone else around you. People often think that if, if they are somehow excellent little rule keepers, that they will be clean before a holy God. And rule keeping then becomes the currency for cleanness and divine approval. If I can just do, 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 keep, 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 God will like me and I'll earn his favor. In Mark 7, 1-23, Jesus interacts with some Pharisees and scribes who are convinced that they are clean before God. But Jesus wholeheartedly disagreed because their cleanness was based on their own man-made standards. I want to ask you as we begin this morning, are you a legalist? And you might say, no, 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 listen, that is not me. Let me tell you, like, I grew up like that. And I absolutely hate that stuff. I mean, I see it, I smell it from a mile away. It's like I have legalism radar. Well, legalism comes in an endless number of forms. Are you 100% sure that you are completely untainted by it? I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I am. I'm not sure you are. I'm not sure any of us are completely untainted by it. There's something probably in all of us that says that it needs to be this way for God to, to approve and I need to do this, this, and this and those things may not be in his word. Are you 100% sure that you are completely untainted by it? It is a critical question. And to just put it in in really big terms, legalism is a road to hell. And if a person has trusted Christ, legalism becomes just a path of, of misery and frustration and saps the Christian life of joy. Legalism leads away from the gospel and the good news of Jesus. It leads away from from Jesus, not to him. We'll notice of these men in these texts, they have absolutely zero use for Jesus. They hate him, they want to be done with him. They don't need Jesus in their life, they're good. And so this Sunday and next, we are going to consider two items that legalism misidentifies. And we'll just focus on one here today. Here's the first one. Legalism misidentifies the standard of authority. There's only one standard of authority. What is it? Well, obviously we'd say, well, it's our Bibles. It's the Word of God. It's what God has spoken. And there is no room alongside the Word of God for any other standard of authority. The Bible will have no co-regents. The Bible does not sit on a throne alongside some other throne. But what legalism does is it gives authority to man-made rules and traditions. And that's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing in this text. At the end of verse 7, if you just skip down there for a moment, you will see that at the end of verse 7, Jesus condemned these men for teaching as doctrine, as Bible doctrine, Bible truth. For teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Uh, Legalism takes man-made rules and traditions and checklists and it gives them the same authority as the word of God and the commands of God. We ask, well, do people do this today? Well, yes. I mean, you you see Christians and non-Christians do it all the time. Uh, We could talk about Things like this, we could talk about dress, you know, if, if you love God, you will always be in your Sunday best on Sunday, or it's wrong for ladies to wear pants, but skirts are good, or men shouldn't wear this color or that color or necklaces or bracelets, because you know, that's like cross-dressing. Well, we could enter the worship space. Worship teams are evil. Drums and electric instruments and anything with a beat, evil. Expressing emotion bodily in any way, shape, or form in a worship service. Evil. Look at the charismatics. That's what they do. Parenting and education choices. If you're a mature Christian, you will choose this form of education. Holidays. Certain holidays are categorically wrong. Um, We could talk about um, basically all things church, the way that we do church, how many services we have, what we do within those services. And people can become very attached to their particular form of the Christian life and say, this is Bible, and it must be this way. And if it's not this way, it's a compromise. I think it's easy for all of us to have our favorite preachers and teachers who may even be teaching us the Word of God, but it's almost like anything that they say that must be Bible. And that may or may not be the case. Uh, Even a, a recent example on kind of all sides of the issue, but if you just took something like COVID response individually and for churches, how many people, how many of you, how many of us thought this way? You respond my way or you respond our way or you are a compromise. My view is the divine standard. I think that happened in in almost any direction you look, not even taking a side there, but just people looking and then looking over the fence and you're wrong and you're wrong and I'm right. And if we look at religion in general, all the religions and cults of the world are essentially built on some form of legalism. Do this list. Follow these regulations. Perform these duties. And if you do, and you do, and you do, and here's the whole massive list, and you do, if you do it all, maybe, just maybe, you'll be clean enough for God. Hopefully. Sometimes legalism comes out And it unapologetically states the authority of its man-made rules. Just boom, this is authoritative. And other times it implies that authority through guilt, condemnation, big statements, scrupulous expectations, and it's legitimately toxic. It creates legitimately toxic environments. How so? Well, think about mold. What type of environment does something like mold need? Mold loves cold, dark places, and it thrives in that type of environment. That environment's critical. And wherever you have a culture of legalism, the perfect environment exists for some nasty fungi to grow. And I can give you at least two examples of that. Uh, One fungus, so to speak, is critical comparison. Critical comparison just thrives in legalistic environments. Look at verses 1 and 2. As we jump into this text, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. These men show up and they immediately point at Jesus' disciples And they they point out the fact that Jesus' disciples, they ate with hands that were unwashed, that is defiled, that is unwashed. And their criticism, just to be clear here, has nothing to do with hygiene. It's not like, oh, they were out working and fishing and they had fish all over their hands and then they, ugh, like, why didn't you go? It's nothing like that. It has nothing to do with hygiene. It has nothing to do with the Bible and everything to do with oral tradition. And so Mark offers some explanation of what's going on. Look at verses 3 and 4. In the ESV, verses 3 and 4 are in brackets. It's just kind of some editorial comments from Mark so that we have an idea, especially for Gentile readers, what on earth was going on. Mark explains, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat. Unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and the scribes, uh, the, what Mark's explaining here is that the Pharisees and scribes had added to God's law an endless number of man made rules and traditions about cleansing. And their list of rules became the authoritative standard or grid for evaluating themselves, but not just themselves, everybody else. And they believed that their list made them clean before God and that their list and all these things that they were doing somehow gave them permission to stand way up high on the moral high ground and look down on everyone else who was defiled. Critical comparison thrives in legalistic environments. Here are all these extra man-made rules, and that's the standard, and I do them, and you don't. And people become judgmental of others. Look at verses 2 and 5. Immediately they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that are defiled and unwashed. And then Mark gives us these editorial comments, and we jump into verse 5. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Wow. Judgment, criticism, shame. I mean, that sounds like a great environment to be in. Things were going great. They were, I mean, it was just so boring until these guys showed around, and then it really got fun. I mean, they just made life great for all of us. The Pharisees and the scribes, they came in life, and now it's just, wow, this is so much fun having these guys around. A condemning spirit always permeates legalistic cultures, and pride is at the root of it. Judgmental of others and proud of self. Look at verse 5 again. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Do you see the pride? Your disciples. You're all a bunch of spiritual losers, but we are awesome. And it's just thick pride. Critical comparison and all that goes with it, like pride, thrives in legalistic environments. And Satan loves that. Why does he love it so much? Because legalism always shifts the focus over here, right? It, it shifts it to external behaviors. And, well, I do this list, and I've done this, and I've done that. And, and, and it shifts the attention to other people. Well, I'm not going to look at me. Well, look at them. While ignoring one's own heart. And any time you can force the conversation anywhere else but yourself and anywhere else than your heart, then, then you don't have to look within. You don't have to look at you. You don't have to look at the control center of your own life. Where are you looking right now? The person across the aisle, I'm better than him. I'm better than her. The government, the leaders or authorities in your life, the church across town, some other family member, I don't. it could be anywhere but here. Other people... And a list of man-made rules are not the standard. Jesus is. And his word is. But it's not just critical comparison that thrives in legalistic environments. There's a second fungus that does as well. Hypocrisy thrives in legalistic environments. Look at verses 6 and 7. And he, this is Jesus, said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do you notice here that Jesus doesn't even bite, even for a split second, on their criticism of his disciples? Because it doesn't even matter. It literally doesn't even matter. Jesus doesn't, he won't even go there. Their religious rules have zero authority, so Jesus gives those rules zero significance. He will not give their rules the time of day. Rather, he immediately condemns these men and he says, you're just like the type of people that Isaiah the prophet spoke of, hypocrites. And he's grabbing language that, that would have been common to Greek, the Greek theater where actors would wear masks The role that they were impersonating on a stage. He says, "You are hypocrites. You're like that. All you're really doing here is playing a part, like an actor on a stage. You may, and by the way, you may be extremely sincere in that, but your mask or the appearance of spiritual cleanliness before God—that mask does not depict the person behind it. That mask does not reveal the heart behind it. You're hypocrites." And I think all of us ought to ask that question of ourselves. Are you wearing a mask? Are, are you, you, you've got some mask on the front, but that's not who you really are. You're just trying to be someone or something. But it's hypocrisy. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus explains that legalism and what these men are doing focuses on the outward appearance of worship, that there is that. They are doing that kind of ish, I guess. There's a lot of worship to be seen by them. Legalism focuses on the outward appearance of worship while ignoring the inner condition of the heart. Jesus says, you've got all this worship of me going on, but your heart, where is it at? It's it's like super far away from me. It's on the other side of the globe somewhere. You're not close to me? And you can look like a good little rule keeper and your heart be far, far, far from God. in, In fact... Uh, you could be extremely religious. You could be in church your whole life. You can know all kinds of things about the Bible. You can keep uh, all the rules and all of God's commands. And you can look like you're a Christian that really loves Jesus. And while you're doing all that, it's quite possible that you might not even be a Christian at all. I mean, that, that is, these men are the most religious of the religious these guys are talking about God all day long. They've centered their whole lives around something God-related. And yet they could be doing all that and it's just really a mask. They're far from God. They don't even really know Him. Is that you? Or maybe you've, you've even trusted Christ and, and your Christian life is descended down into that where it's like, man, I'm just playing some part here. Hypocrisy thrives legalistic environments. Jesus has v- made it very clear that man-made rules and traditions are, are human in origin and they have zero authority. And on the flip side of that, God's word is divine in origin and it is 100% authoritative. Legalism puts man-made rules and traditions on the same plane as the Bible. Here's the Bible and man-made rules and traditions come right along beside it. But here's one of the really big problems. They never stay on the same plane together. You don't take the word of God and elevate man-made tradition and just think that it's going to stay like that. One always rises above the other. It's like two forces playing tug-of-war over a mud pit. When I was in junior high, I had this awesome uh, game of of tug-of-war that I played at some event, and there was a massive mud pit. And the, the, two for, the two teams were on either side of that pit. And that's what's the idea here. It's like two forces playing tug-of-war over a mud pit. And for a moment, it might look like a stalemate. I mean, both, both sides are just locked up. The rope's not going any direction. But sooner or later, one of those forces is going to win out, and it will drive the other for, drag the other force right through the mud. And that's precisely what legalism does with the Word of God. Legalism sucks the authority right out of the word of God and it drags the word of God right through the mud. These two forces, these two authorities will not stay on the same plane together. And that's where Jesus is going next. Look at verse eight. He says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Uh, what legalism does is it actually releases or lets go of the commands of God. The word used there is the same word used of forgiveness in the Bible, this idea of like releasing. You release the commands of God and you grasp your man-made rules and traditions. And then look at verse nine. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to to establish your tradition. Legalism must reject God's commands if it's going to establish its own. Uh, The two will always collide at some point. They they don't happily coexist. And in verses 10 to 13, uh, Jesus offers just one example of many that he could give. He goes, well, let's just, for example, just one example. I could give a lot of examples here, but let's just talk about the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Look at verses 10 to 13. Said, for Moses said, so he's actually going to highlight a real command of God. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Wow. I mean, a real commandment with major consequences. Verse 11. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. That is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. What's going on there? Well, if someone pronounced Corbin over a piece of land, a piece of property, or a sum of money, they were basically saying this. That word Corbin" meant that it was dedicated to God, or that it was going to be dedicated to God, you know, at some point in the future. According to the Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, along with that, you would essentially have a biblical obligation to honor your parents, and that, that could take on many, many different forms, depending on the need of the hours, so to speak. And that would likely include assisting them financially and practically as needed in their old age. I mean, you imagine your parents getting up there in age and they need you. They need your help practically or financially or something. And, you know, if you just turn turn away, oh, yeah, I don't really care about mom and dad, you're not honoring them. And that's precisely what was happening with this whole Corbin thing. One writer said, If a son declared that the resources needed to support his aging parents were Corbin, and according to scribal tradition, he was, was exempt from this command of God. And his parents were legally excluded from any claim on him. The scribes emphasized that his vow was unalterable and they were using passages like Numbers 30. And that vow, vow held priority over his family responsibilities. So the scribes and stuff, they're no longer even letting him do anything to help his parents. And Jesus is going, think about that. Just think about it. Basically, you're saying, hey, sorry, Mom and Dad. I mean, I would love to help you. Truly, I would. <laughs> I mean, you're my parents. But the resources that I would use to help you, they're someday, like when I'm done using them, are going to go to the temple." you see what, what happened there with this one example Jesus gave? Here's my command, honor your father and mother. Here's your tradition that you've elevated alongside of it. Let me ask you this, which one won? Your tradition. And you drug my commands right through the mud. Legalism sucks the authority right out of the word of God. If you look at verse 8, you see that phrase, the commandment of God? What's the word right in front of it? It's the word Leave. If you look at verse 9, you see the phrase, the commandment of God. Again, what's the word right in front of it? Reject. If you look at verses 10 to 13, uh, that story, you see the phrase, the word of God. What word is right in front of that phrase? Make void. These two, uh, the authority of the word of God and the authority of man made rules and traditions, they are not hanging there on the same plane. Leave, reject, make void. When man-made rules and traditions are placed side by side, the authority of the word of God, they will eventually rise above it. There will be no co-regency. They will not reign happily together. The rules will reign. Do you see what Jesus is saying? A gospel culture and a legalistic culture, they, they cannot coexist Legalism always drives out gospel and gospel always drives out legalism. These two just do not go together. Why is it that Jesus takes a zero tolerance position here? Why do you think that in the book of Galatians that, that Paul is so hard on legalism? Because legalism kills the gospel. Just, you, you just cannot have it. It just does not work. We don't write checks all that much anymore. But a check uh, has amazing power to disperse whatever funds are in the bank behind it. But a check has zero power and authority if all you do with that check is just write one little word on it. Void. And legalism does that to the authority, power, and good news of the word of God. Void void. It misidentifies the standard of authority. So what do we do? How do we take what Jesus is talking to these men about, what he's highlighting, what he's calling them out for? How do we take it and apply it to our own lives? And Several thoughts come to mind. Uh, First of all, you really can establish your own personal standards and preferences, and that be okay, and that be perfectly fine. In fact, I think all of us are going to do that. It's hard to live life without doing that. But you do have to recognize that that's precisely what those things are. They are your personal standards and preferences and convictions, and they have zero authority. Meaning that you cannot impose them on others or look down on others when they don't measure up to them. Well, obviously in your own house, like you're going to have family rules and structure and all of that, but you think about church life and stuff, so, you can't take your own standards and impose them on other people as the standard, or when people don't live up to your personal standard, go, "Oh, well they're compromised or they're lesser or they're not very godly. God doesn't do that. God's standard is His word plus nothing else. So you can establish your own personal standards and preferences, that's fine, that's great, but you have to recognize that's exactly what they are. Also, I think all of us should ask ourselves some very hard questions like this. How much authority does tradition have according to Jesus? Zero. Like, literally zero. So how much authority does tradition have in your life? And have you given it authority? Have you given it any more than zero? And Can you provide a scriptural basis for what you believe and do? Are you a text-driven Christian or are you a tradition-driven Christian? And the difference between those two, I mean, it it is absolutely crucial. Text-driven, tradition-driven, which one do you want to be? Well, all of us ought to want to be text-driven. The, it's the Word of God that guides our lives. I recently heard someone say this little phrase, chapter and verse it, or reverse it. Um, I don't know. I thought it was like, well, that's going to stick with me, I suppose. Uh, can you point to clear biblical assertions for what you believe and what you do and your your viewpoints? And you're, well, you know, there's not always a chapter and verse, you know, like, okay, okay, well, can you point to extremely clear principles for what you believe that, are, that really present like an airtight case that it has to be and must absolutely be this way? On that principle piece in particular, did the principles present a tight case for your view or did they actually leave room for alternative applications and viewpoints? Maybe there's more than white, one right way to do this here. Also, beware of propagating viewpoints that you're not certain the Scriptures assert. I think there's something that's really easy for all of us to do. It's easy to assert and propagate viewpoints. Not because you've studied them yourself, not because you've seen them in Scripture and know that they are there, or even that you could defend them, but because somebody else told you something. Or, or it's the heritage with, that you grew up in. God calls all of us to go and study his word. Also, work hard to keep calibrating your conscience to the word of God. I read this text and I think, can you imagine growing up in one of these Pharisees' homes? Like one of these guys is your dad. And you grow up in his home and a dad before every meal is just doing this special little thing about you know how he washes his hands this special little way every single time that man touches food. You know, your dad did it. You've watched your grandpa do it. You watched your great-grandpa do it. And you've seen it thousands of times. And it's always tied to a relationship with God. In your conscience, after all of that, hand-washing would likely hold as much weight as the Torah, the Old Testament law itself. This is important. We do this. I think it's often those raised in the church and with the religious backgrounds who are most susceptible to legalism or or having kind of baggage from their background. And it's important for all of us that that we keep calibrating our conscience to the word of God. Okay, I'm pretty sure this is right, but does the Bible actually say that? I think this is important. Does the Bible say that? I mean, if I start studying it, is that there in Scripture or is it not? And if you find that, that even something that you've thought or held for a long time, it just, it just does not show up in Scripture. It cannot be defended by Scripture. Then the, the dial needs to shift a little bit in your conscience. And your conscience needs to shift so that it calibrates to the Word of God. That is the standard of calibration. Another point of application is to beware of the pendulum swing. In verses 8 to 13, those verses repeatedly mention the Word of God, the commandment of God. God does have commands. And the road that He wants you to walk down is the road of His Word. God didn't just give you this entire book so you could be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. No, He does have commands. And he wants you to walk down the road of his word. And on either side of that road is a massive ditch. And one of those ditches is called legalism. And the other ditch is called license. And both of them do a terrible injustice to the word of God. Legalism says, hey, let's add to it. And as we add to it, we'll degrade the word of God. License is like, yeah, we don't need that. The word of God doesn't matter. And the road in between is the road of the word of God. The word of God is everything. It is our final authority. It is not a badge of honor to go from one ditch to the next. Both ditches say that God's word is not important. God's word is not authoritative. Uh, just to be clear on what a legalist is and what a legalist is not. A legalist is not a person who holds firm to the word of God and says that God has spoken. that God has said that, that this, this is how we should live and that this matters. The legalist is not the one who holds up the word of God. It elevates it. Legalists are those who add to it or take away from it. They make it void. They say that this book is not important. There's something else that's more important. Also, how do you, how do you fight this in your own life? Well, you put the gospel acts to the legalism tree. And if you don't, the legalism acts actually will end up chopping down the very tree upon which your faith rests. The gospel will drive out legalism, or legalism will actually drive out the gospel as the way of salvation. And as the path of Christian growth. It's just, they, they cannot sit there side by side. And so we keep going back to the gospel, we keep going back to God's word, we keep going back to God's truth. And it sets us free I just want to say a few more words here this morning. Maybe you have been sitting here, and for your whole life, you've been, you actually really care about being right with God. You, you really do want to be clean before God. And your whole life, you have thought that if that is going to happen, then I need to do this, and I need to do that and I need to do this, and I need to do that, and here's this list of all these things that I need to do, and many of them you might be able even to point to to Scripture for and say, I need to do this, 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 and this, and then maybe I will be clean before God. That is not the case. That is not the case at all. In fact, when we get into next week, Jesus is going to say, hey, let's, let's dump that list for a second here. And let's ask this question, where does all sin, where does all moral defilement, where does all filth come from? It comes from right in here. Which means that you and I have a big problem. No matter how many lists we keep, no matter how many things we do, there's still a massive problem here. And what can wash and cleanse the heart? What can make the heart new? Well, not doing this and doing that and following all these rules. It's only Jesus that could do that In fact, all the way back in the Old Testament, Jesus started making promises about giving people new hearts. That I will take your old heart of stone and sin and defilement and I will crush it and I will break it and I'll give you a new heart and I'll make you a new person, I'll make you a new creature. That's the joy of the gospel. There's no joy in, hey, why don't you perform? And by the way, you're never going to be good enough. The joy of the gospel is that Jesus would do something for you that you could never do, that you could never attain. And Jesus is going so hard at these men because everything they're propagating is a road to hell, leading away from him, leading away from the hope of the gospel. If you want new life, if you want to be clean, if you want to be washed, then you need to cry out to God and you need to say, God, I am dirty and I cannot cleanse myself. Will you do that for me? I realize that Jesus died because I am a sinner and I cannot make myself good. He died because of that. To take my punishment, to take my eternal condemnation and he rose again so that I could be declared righteous. I just encourage you, all the rule keeping, all your plans to make yourself right with God, that's all gonna be thrown out the window and you need to fall on your face before Jesus. Jesus, will you save me? And that's something you can do right here today. We are not saved by keeping a list of rules, Um, but it's also true that once a person becomes saved, you you don't stay in God's good books by checking off lists. God is not for sale. He cannot be bought in salvation. He cannot be bought in the Christian life. He just wants us to walk the path of his word, and that that path is a road of joy and life and freedom. It does not need added to, nor should we take away from it. And he gives us his spirit to help us. And if he has given us new hearts and new lives, we are different. And we can live those lives by his grace, not because we're strong or good or do this or that, but because he dwells within us. Legalism misidentifies the standard of authority. And it's consequently a road to hell. It leads away from the gospel. And so we need to endeavor together to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our eyes on his word. And may God give us the joy that comes with doing that. Would you bow your head with me at this time?